And we're back. We love coming this in every Saturday this time to you. Of course, so many of you now listen via the podcast as well. So you're not listening live, but you're listening. That's great. So you can, if you're if you're listening live, uh, let me encourage you to, to subscribe to the podcast. And you can do it either way. You can subscribe to the podcast by going to Ed Stetzer Live and uh, just click edstetzerlive.com. Just click on the links, the Moody Radio app. You can really subscribe to all of our podcasts here at Moody Radio. Super thankful for being here on Moody Radio with you. Uh, of course, our partners and affiliates, you know, Faith Radio, um, uh, K-Wave, lots of places and folks around the country. And we're so thankful for the partnership we have with you as well. This and every Saturday, we try to bring to you an ongoing conversation about well, what it means to live on mission in our day. How do we show and share the love of Jesus? How should we think about the treasure and the richness of the gospel and more? And so I'm thrilled to be able to bring to you different friends at different times. And uh, one of them I want to bring to you today is uh, David Mathis. Uh, David Mathis is a senior teacher and executive editor at DesiringGod.org. He's a pastor at Cities Church in St. Paul, Minnesota, adjunct professor for Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis. Author of, well, lots of things, but Habits of Grace, Enjoying Jesus Through the Spiritual Disciplines, and Rich Wounds, which we're going to talk about today, Rich Wounds, The Countless Treasures of the Life, Death, and Triumph of Jesus. I've known, oh gosh, I've known maybe 15 plus years. David, we were young when we first got to know each other, but not so much anymore. Good to have you on the program. So good to be talking to you, brother. Good to talk to you as well. And I love, I love the resource you're just putting on. This is, this is like right, just right out in the last couple of months, last few months, came out in February. Mm -hmm. It's called Rich Wounds, the Countless Treasures of the Life, Death, and Triumph of Jesus. Now the subtitle actually, I don't know the subtitle, maybe the description, 30-day cross-centered Lenten devotional to prepare your heart for Easter. So still time uh, to engage here and now in this as well. But one of the things that, you know, let, let's let's introduce some terms because not everybody in our listening audience will uh, how, know what Lenten or follow a Lenten tradition, a Lenten devotional. So, but this is the season we're in now. Explain a little bit of what that is, and then I'm going to talk and maybe explain why you wrote a devotional tied to it. Yeah, there's a uh... The Lent season, which just goes back to the old English for spring, so it's 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 no special name other than the word spring, and the Lent season corresponds with the, the run up to Easter. It's it's typically been defined throughout church history and in various traditions. Uh, it, it's not an ex expressly Roman Catholic thing by any means. Uh, our Baptist Church <laughs> marks Lent, and many Baptist churches do. Many in the Reformed and Presbyterian and Baptist traditions have have marked it as well, and it's typically the forty days other than Sundays leading up to Easter. So you put the Sundays in there, it's about 46 days. It begins with what has become called you know, over the years Ash Wednesday. That's the, you know, after the big Mardi Gras Fat Tuesday in, uh, in New Orleans. And the Ash Wednesday uh, all the way up to Easter is, is the Lenten season. It, there's some similarities with the Advent season. I think more Christians today are familiar with the Advent season that goes from just after Thanksgiving, those four Sundays leading up to, to Christmas. And that's typically a shorter season. That's, that's in the 20s, number of days there. Uh, but this is in the 40s. It's a longer season. And uh, the original thought for the book from the Good Book Company is that they have been doing some Lenten devotionals because Christians of different, uh, different traditions like to have some devotions leading up to the Easter season. And they asked for a Lenten devotional. And uh, I really want to do something that was, that was timeless and helpful year-round. 
And so we have uh, released this here at the end of January, beginning of February, so that it's useful for Lent this year or for future years. But it's really made to be timeless and to be year-round. And it has only 30 meditations. It doesn't have 46. There's not one for every single day in Lent. It's meant to be spread out over the season leading up to Easter. And then in particular, my favorite part of the quote-unquote Lent season, which honestly, Ed, I, I don't really mark the, the full Lent season very carefully. But what I love to do personally is to really walk those last eight days with Jesus from Palm Sunday to Easter. And that is much more prevalent in various church traditions, like the Southern Baptist Church I grew up in. We would do the palm branches on Easter Sunday and, and mark that final week, those final eight days that have been called Holy Week. And so the last eight chapters of the book line up with those eight days, from Palm Sunday to the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Spy Wednesday is what it's called, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and then it, it ends with Easter Sunday. Yeah, it's interesting for me. Um, you know, I, I came to Christ in the Anglican tradition, and um, and you know now now I'm a Baptist. And what what I experienced though is that this is a time when Christians of all different traditions, particularly Holy Week, uh, yes. when when people really do seek to reflect, and and really I find it a a beautiful time. You know, the, the when we slow down, when we think through each of the days, what Christ is did do, what He walked through, and more. And that's a you know, big part of the theme of Rich Wounds, the countless treasures of the life, death, and triumph of Jesus. We're going to, in just a minute, we're going to open up for calls, and we actually have copies to give away of that as well to some of our brilliant callers, not just you know, call in and get a copy of the book, <laughs> but, but for some of the callers as well. But um, let's talk about Jesus' life, his habits, his purpose, his, who he was and how he worked and engaged people. What can we draw from Jesus' life? You know, one thing I've, the way I've, I've structured the book is the first eight chapters are on his life, then the next seven on his death, the next seven on his resurrection. And so right at the middle, we kind of linger over the death and resurrection, and there's the last eight chapters on, on Holy Week. But I really enjoy lingering over Jesus' life. So about, yeah. about half of what we have in the Gospels relates to his final week. So there is this emphasis on that Holy Week, on his death, on his resurrection, on its meaning. But that's... It's only half the Gospels. <laughs> a little more than half the Gospels are about his life. Uh, his life is so amazing and impressive and significant for us because in the person of Jesus, uh, the eternal God became man. And so he showed us what it was like to live a perfect human life. So that, that's the, even as trite as it can be, that's the profound or the, the right element in the what would Jesus do <laughs> the bracelet is to think this is amazing that not only does God himself from heaven give us guidance and have particular rules and what he, how he wants us to live, uh, but God himself has lived that life. God himself became man in the person of Jesus. And so we see this amazing coming together of full divinity and full humanity, which is so relevant to us because we're, we're fully human without being fully divine. And so to see humanity lived out by Jesus in its perfection in the Gospels is, is an amazing thing. So I love focusing on various aspects of his human life. Now, we want to be careful that as we focus on Jesus' human life, we don't ever disconnect that from where he's going toward the cross. So there at the very heart, at the climax of Jesus' human life, is a uniqueness that we cannot imitate. I, I cannot die 
for someone else. You cannot die for someone else. So Jesus, as the God-man, as utterly unique in that way, does some unique things that are inimitable by us. However, there's a lot in his life that he means, God means, for it to be imitated by his followers. And, and one of those things that's amazing to see is Jesus' habits in life. We, we don't have a lot about his personal spiritual habits, but we have more about Jesus' personal spiritual habits or spiritual disciplines, you might call them, than anybody else in the Bible. <laughs> we don't know any more about Paul or Moses or Elijah or King David than we know about Jesus. Uh, so it, as we see Jesus' life played out in more than half the Gospels and in four Gospels, we see a pattern of how he lived utterly devoted to the Scriptures. He quoted Scripture left and right. And he was a man who lived from prayer to prayer. He went away for personal prayer. He taught his disciples how to pray. And Jesus had this amazing pattern in his life of retreat and reentry. We see again and again where he pulls away from the crowds or he's healing dozens in Capernaum in Peter's hometown. And they wake up the next morning and Jesus is gone because he's gone away to pray to his father. So there's an amazing pattern in his life of getting away from the rush, from the bustle, from all the distractions, and meeting with his father in prayer, and then having his human soul restored, refilled, and coming back to minister to people. There's a lot for us to learn from Jesus' habits in his human life. Yeah, it's one of the things I love about the book, and, and I think I think people will be encouraged uh, really at any point, at any time, to engage it. But understanding um, where we're heading, it's uh, understanding who Jesus is, how he was, again, fully fully human and fully God. You know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm part of a uh, media campaign called He Gets Us, and it, mm. it's emphasizing the humanity of Jesus right now. And it's interesting to watch people, some people respond. They, they maybe are Maybe they don't like the full expression of his humanity, but he was fully God and fully a man. And to acknowledge that is just to acknowledge what the scriptures teach, and hopefully we understand some of the fullness of how that ultimately, um, well, it comes in the death of Christ. And we're going to continue our conversation with David Mathis in just a moment. We're talking about his new book, Rich Wounds, The Countless Treasures of the Life, Death, and Triumph of Jesus. David's a senior teacher and executive editor at Desiring God and a pastor at Cities Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. And we're going to open up your calls as well. 877-548-3675 is our number. Maybe you've got questions about how to understand the death of Christ and his work in our life. 877-548-3675. Politics brings more division than ever, and social media is moving many to be less social and more critical. Those with Christian views are also often being dismissed. Well, what if the rise of secularism, though, is good news for the church? Throughout history, these times of decline traditionally precede powerful spiritual renewal, even revival. You need to read Mark Sayer's book, Reappearing Church, The Hopeful Renewal in the Rise of Our Post-Christian Culture. Get a copy of Reappearing Church today at moodypublishers.com. Hey, we're back. Ed Stetzer Live here on Moody Radio, our partners and affiliates, and having a conversation today with David Mathis. And David has written a book called Rich Wounds, which I think probably, David, would be helpful if you kind of explained the title, Rich Wounds. Those aren't two things we normally hear together. Yeah, that, that's right. The uh, Ed, growing up in my Southern Baptist church in, in Spartanburg, South Carolina, we would often sing the song, 
crown him with many crowns, written yes. in 1851 by Matthew Bridges. And I think it's the second verse, crown him the Lord of love. Should I, should I sing this? Crown him the Lord of love. Behold his hands and side, rich wounds yet visible above in beauty glorified. So I, I have long been captivated by that phrase. I, there was, there's so much beauty there in, uh, in thinking about the, the risen, glorified Christ. So as you mentioned earlier, sometimes Christians will scratch their head when you talk about Jesus still being human. Like, oh, wasn't he, you know, wasn't he human while he's among us? And then he kind of shed his humanity. Uh, no, he, 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 became, he took on humanity. And as Philippians, end of Philippians chapter 3 says, he will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. Jesus still has a human body glorified. So he is, he's glorified now at, Christ, at God's right hand, fully God, fully man, in glorified humanity. And uh, the end of the Gospel of John and Luke 24 both talk about his wounds still visible. Like he has scars on his resurrection body that his disciples are able to identify. Oh, this is the Lord. You know, put, put your hand in my side and touch my hands, Thomas, and do not doubt. And so you might think, I think my natural instinct would be to think that a glorified body wouldn't have scars. <laughs> Isn't that a defect on a glorified body? Well, it's not for Jesus because of the, the way he received those scars and why he got those scars. And to our eyes, for all eternity, those scars, those wounds now healed will exude glory. They are beautiful wounds because he died for us with them. These wounds were not accidents of history. It wasn't because he did some weird stunt and it was a, a mark of stupidity. Like These wounds are marks of glory because he gave himself. He loved us to the uttermost to go to the cross, to die for sins that were not his own, but ours for those who trust in him. And so to our eyes, we will see glory forever in these healed, glorified scars of Jesus. That makes them rich wounds. Mm. Rich wounds, yet love, visible yeah. above, in beauty glorified. I love the power of that. And I, I will tell you that I didn't expect you to sing that, and so that was a little bit of a surprise. <laughs> I think you and Keith, Keith Getty now have the record of being ones who just sing on my program, so I'm glad that you did. Uh, because well, again, good it, company. It, 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 it is a good company, but it's a beautiful song. I mean, I, when you, I, I wanted to sing along with you, but it doesn't work that way on radio because there's a little, little delay, and so it would have been a little awkward. But I loved, I loved that song. Um, here we walk into um, soon to be into Holy Week, and as we do, we, you know, to quote a Keith Getty song, you know, here in the death of Christ I stand. You know, we're we're mm. going to be walking through, uh, in a sense, a, a mental reenactment of this glorious death of Jesus on the cross for our sin and in our place. Um, so how and why might we walk through that? Why is that important for us to walk through that devotionally? That's what you've done at Rich Wounds. Why is it important for us to even think and remind ourselves each year around this time of what Christ has done and how he has done it? Oh, it's uh, in, in Easter is such a great excuse <laughs> or such a great mm -hmm. reminder that we continue to rehearse the most central things. There's so, so much in our life. I don't know if it's modern, Western, linear development or the way that we do education and scope and sequence and you move on from one thing to the next. 
And we're typically trained in this pattern of, of thinking about moving on rather than going deeper. And the Christian life is a different paradigm. The Christian life is not ever about moving on from the cross and the resurrection and the glories of the gospel, which we will explore in new depth and richness and thickness for all eternity. That there is a tree of life <laughs> at the center of the new Jerusalem from which flows a stream of life-giving water. Uh, we, we will never move on from the Lamb. He will always be in glory, the Lamb who was slain, the one with the rich wounds. And so Easter, you know, Advent is a great excuse for remembering the beauty of the Incarnation, God becoming one of us in Christ. And He did that for a purpose from the beginning. It was not plan B, the cross. It was plan A. And so we rehearse that in the, in the Advent season. And it, it's, it's a striking thing, Ed, because so, so much of us, uh, you know, we're wired to celebrate obvious successes or painless successes as glorious rather than deaths mm. or the cross. I mean, that's an instrument of execution, one of the worst ways to die in the history of the world, designed for public shame and excruciating. I mean, that's where the word excruciating comes from. Is from the cross, so that we would. And sometimes we sing this really well, just like we sing it in rich wounds. This is one reason to to celebrate some of the old hymns. Uh, for instance, the the one wondrous cross. Why would a cross be wondrous? It, it's worth pausing to think. Okay, we're talking about an instrument of execution. So to put it in our modern terms, uh, would we talk about a wondrous electric chair or mm. beautiful? lethal injection. I mean, we wouldn't unless the Son of God, for sins not His own, would take our sins on Him and would go to the cross. That would make a horrible cross, no less horrible, mm -hmm. but also wonderful. And another thing that we sing about, we sing about power in the blood. <laughs> That's a good old Southern Baptist song. Right? I mean, that mm -hmm. might have been my dad's favorite song when I was growing up, Power in the Blood. I think when, when, that, when that song would come on at church, we'd all glance down at him. Bob, Bob, it's power in the blood. What does that mean there's power in the blood? I mean, it, have, it's worth pausing to, to think about that. And the, the way that works is blood in and of itself isn't powerful. And blood represents a life violently ended. Okay, the, the, This is not a natural death. It's not a bloodless death we're talking about. We're talking about a bloody death. That means there was violence. It was a life that was ended prematurely, so to speak, and it was ended violently. That's what the blood symbolizes, the life of Jesus being spilled, poured out, so that he no longer lives, he dies. And the reason there's power in the blood is because as God himself and man, he is dying for us who would have faith in Him and be joined to Him by faith and have that communicated to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that makes that blood, instead of being a demonstration of His powerlessness that Rome and Pilate took His life, handed over by the Jews, instead of it being a symbol of His powerlessness, in that amazing moment of shame and powerlessness, He actually demonstrates the very power of God to take the most horrible, most terrible parts of our lives and make them serve His good purposes in the everlasting joy of His saints. So if a cross can be wonderful, and if there can be power in Jesus' blood, that means 
no pain in our own lives, no shame, no horror, no difficulty is wasted in God's sovereignty, in His economy. God can take the worst aspects of your life. In fact, not just can. In Christ, He will. He will take the worst aspects of your life and make them to serve your everlasting good and eternal joy in His perfect timing. I love just talking about the gospel with David Mathis, and I know you do mm. as well. We're going to go to our calls. Uh, our, our, Deb, we're going to get to you in just one second. Let me just remind everyone the phone number is 877-548-3675. Again, that's 877-548-3675. Deb from Quad Cities, you're live on the air. What's your question or your comment? Well, thank you for taking my call. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Very impactful subject today. Um, I was raised Baptist tradition, too, and uh, it wasn't until I had a Catholic friend that I learned about this Stations of the Cross or the Via Mm. Della Rosa. We never celebrated something like that in our church, but I find it very beautiful, the the whole Mm. Stations thing. And like in Israel, there's, I don't know which station, but there was like an imprint of a hand in the wall. I guess tradition was like... Mm. He reached out to brace himself when he fell. I didn't know if that was any truth to that tradition or, you know, why we don't celebrate more of that whole stations. It's It seems biblical in alignment with, you know, the verses of his... Yeah, thanks, Deb. Let's get, let's get, yeah, let's get David to weigh in a little bit on that. Deb, if you'll hold on, too, though, we want to give you a copy of David's book as well. Again, it's Rich Wounds, The Countless Treasures of the Life, Death, and Triumph of Jesus. So, I mean, the tradition of the Via Della Rosa, for those who don't know, is a uh, kind of a path in, it's called the Way of Suffering, would be often translated. It's a, uh, a route of procession in the old city of Jerusalem in its literal sense. Uh, and, and there's some tradition that kind of bears there, but the Stations of the Cross is something that uh, different churches have done. Uh, that's that's a later tradition. But David, tell us a little bit what your thoughts are about the Stations of the Cross and the Via Della Rosa. The, uh, I have, I did go on a trip to Israel with my home church when I grew up. I think it was the summer of 2000 with my family and some other families. And it, it was very impactful to, to see the landscape, to be in Galilee, to see Jerusalem, even though it's, it's 2,000 years later. You got to keep that in mind. You know, it's not, not exactly the same. Who knows, over 2,000 years, what was remembered, you know, where a hand reached out or in exactly those details. We wouldn't have certainty about those. I wouldn't want to discount it uh, out of hand because uh, who knows what kind of devotion, what mem- remembrance there were of various things. I, mean, I think I would take those kind of things with a grain of salt as to whether Jesus' hand was here, you know, precisely the path. That his followers would recognize him as God and see the significance in his life and have various devotional practices as opportunities to worship him, to strengthen their own faith. Uh, that, that's a very beautiful thing. And I, I, I think with the Stations of the Cross, I, I put that in the category of there's no biblical mandate to do that once a year, to, to walk through the stations. And I, I think if it's, if it's done the right way, I wouldn't want to discount that out of hand either. We, we do a version of the Stations of the Cross at our church where we, we put those together. We usually do it on a weeknight, and folks can come in and just in their own uh, devotional pace, in, in a pace of worship, they can move through the stations and just remember the sacrifice of Christ. It, it, it's, a, it's an opportunity. I wouldn't think of it as an obligation, but an opportunity to think about 
the, the real life of Jesus, what he did, which is for us, is informed with certainty from Scripture. That's where we're taking our, our certain information. And then other information, we would, we would take that kind of speculation uh, in, relative to the certainty we have from Scripture. And to walk that path with Jesus can be a very beautiful thing. So that's just the kind of thing that uh, I'm doing in some sense with uh, thinking through Holy Week. And Stations of the Cross can be another uh, element of that. And I think there's a, a biblical, scriptural way to do that in light of uh, an opportunity being given for the strengthening of your soul and the worshiping of Christ uh, rather than an obligation of something you must walk through. Yeah, we uh, up on the fifth floor at Billy Graham Hall, where I where I serve at Wheaton, we have something like that, and 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 where this mm. there are stations, and people. Uh, what I love to see is people who are who will stop and uh, maybe have their Bible and think through this moment, and it's an opportunity to kind of mm. slow down and, in some ways, uh, understand and engage the um, the emotions the disciples must have felt, the emotions Jesus uh, must have felt, and and we're gonna we're gonna come back in just a moment. We're going to talk some about that. I'm going to ask David to kind of explain the human emotions of Jesus, uh, where we see his humanity and, uh, and more. And we're going to take your calls as well. Maybe you got questions about this. We're, we're coming up on Easter. We're coming up on Holy Week. Uh, our, our number is 877-548-3675. That's uh, 877-548-3675. Three six seven five. Uh, we're talking to David Mathis about his new book, uh, and it's called Rich Wounds, The Countless Treasures of the Life, Death, and Triumph of Jesus, and hopefully pointing you to Jesus today. And maybe you're at a place in space in your life when you're not sure. And even as we come back, I'm going to take the opportunity to share what it means to trust and follow Christ in the midst of the busyness of our day to slow down personally as followers of Jesus and focus on him, or if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, to trust and follow him. Again, our number to call in, 877-548-3675. Hey, we're back and continuing our conversation with David Mathis, and really a timely conversation as we are looking up ahead towards Holy Week and towards Easter, just uh, really, really took weeks away, and and it gives an opportunity to refocus, to uh, to again maybe reengage our thoughts on dwelling on the death of Christ and His ultimate resurrection and victory. But as we walk through some of this conversation, it, it kind of leads us to ask questions about and understand more about what Jesus walked through, uh, and that's a big part of David's book, Rich Wounds. And so, so David, just before we we pause there, I. We were talking about Jesus' emotions and what he walked through, or maybe the disciples even walked through. But let's let's focus on Jesus' emotions for just a second. Where do we see this in his, his humanity, uh, and why why is that important? Why is it so important that we understand Jesus in his humanity, in his emotions, and more? Well, I mean, quickly, the answer to the the second question about why it's so important is the <laughs> Gregory of Nazianzus in the late third century. Nice. Uh, he had this this great maxim about that which he has not assumed, he hath not healed. In other words, uh, Jesus, by taking on our full humanity, healed our full humanity. It heals our human bodies, our human soul, in their emotions, in their thoughts, in our will. And so Christ has taken on uh, the whole sheep, so to speak, not just the skin. And that, that was very important in the early church. I and mean, those are the kind of things they... Uh, they wrestled with, and they had to think how to respond to various secular or non-Christian challenges around them in articulating what it means for Jesus to be fully God 
and yet fully man, which you know breaks our natural categories in a way that is not a contradiction, and yet it's it's new, it's fresh, it's revelation from God. And so one amazing aspect of this uh, is, is we think about his full humanity. There, there's early on there were discussions about his full his full human body, fully human body. And his disciples knew this. They knew he wasn't floating. He wasn't a ghost. He was fully human. The Apostle John says in 1 John that we touched him. You know, he says, he says to Thomas after the resurrection, put your hand in my side, you know, touch my hand, see my wounds. So they knew he was fully human. And then the, there's the question about, all right, now what about emotions? You know, is, is, is his emotional, you know, his internal complex, his, his human soul, so to speak, filled up merely by a divine soul? Or does he have a human soul along with his divinity? And again and again throughout church history, they would point to Jesus' human emotions, that he has compassion for the leper. Again and again, Jesus is the quintessentially compassionate one throughout the Gospels. I think every time that the word compassion or pity is mentioned in the Gospels, I don't know if it's eight or twelve times, it's always referring to Jesus. He's the compassionate one. He is the compassion of God himself that has been revealed to us in humanity. And this is a compassion that is, is really in his, in his human nature. He has human emotions. And one of the places that we'll often go where there is such a, a stark revelation of Jesus' human emotions, human emotions is John chapter 11. That's where Lazarus has died. And Jesus gets word. And he waits a couple extra days. And then he comes with his disciples. And he said, this is going to be for the glory of God. And it's very clear that he loves Lazarus and Martha and Mary, Lazarus's sisters. And he comes, and, and, and this is, uh, as he comes to the tomb, in the shortest verse in the Bible, right? Two-word verse in John eleven thirty-five, And we learn that Jesus wept which is so distinctively human, such a, a stark and striking revelation of his human emotions, that he would come to uh, the tomb here and that he would see uh, the, the horror, that, that, that death is, is part of this creation because of sin, that his friend Lazarus has died and is in the tomb and that his sisters are mourning and people are mourning. Jesus comes to this juncture and he experiences a, a complexity of human emotions. John eleven thirty three, just before his weeping in verse 35, talks about him being literally outraged and unsettled. This, the same language is used for the snorting of horses. There's, there's, a, there's a righteous anger component to this, that this is not how it should be. Lazarus should not die. Humans should not die made in the image of God. This is because of sin. This is sin's curse that has brought death. And, and when Jesus looks death in the face, he doesn't ignore it and move on. There is a righteous outrage at death. And he's, he's unsettled uh, because he is headed to the cross where he's going to face, de- face death head on in an even greater degree than the raising of Lazarus. And so the same language of Jesus being troubled in John 11 that shows us his human emotions we pick up that same language in John 13, 14, in the Upper Room Discourse to show that this troubledness, Jesus being troubled in his soul, is the same path that's leading to Gethsemane and to the cross. And this, this is no small thing for a human with fully human emotions who, 
Uh, I mean, rightly, God made us to recoil from death. We, we don't go to death instinctively. We recoil from death. And that was in Jesus, in his human emotions. He was recoiling from death. And yet, because of his utter submission to his Father, he says, yet not what I will in my human will, in my human emotions, but what you will be done in Gethsemane. And so that, that John, John 11 is a very significant revelation uh, among others, there, there are many others, among others of Jesus' human emotions. And so what that, what that means for us is Jesus doesn't just save our bodies from hell. Jesus is into rescuing our emotions. And, and that doesn't always happen in a, in a moment or usually happen in a moment. He begins a process of work in our life. But he's, he's into rescuing that. Your, your current emotional state is, is not a given, it is not fixed, it is redeemable and deliverable in measure in this life and then ultimately and finally uh, in the new heavens and new earth and new creation. Uh, and so Jesus is, he's saves human emotions. He rescues the human mind. He rescues the human will as he draws us back from sin. And so in seeing his emotions, we see his saving efforts and love toward us. Mm. And, you know, we're talking so much about how Jesus saves Uh, here. We're talking about even how it impacts everything in our lives. The saving life of Christ changes so much. Uh, One of the things we know is that, you know, sometimes people will listen to Moody Radio or partners and affiliates, and they might not know personally the good news of the gospel. They might not have responded by grace and through faith to receive what God has for them in this new and everlasting life. What would your exhortation to be to them who right now, this coming up in the, we're already in April, we're going to be soon in Holy Week. How might you encourage them to consider to respond to the truth claims of the gospel by grace and through faith? That's so good, Ed. I, uh, this is such a perfect time of year. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I think, I think my answer would be the same all year, but yeah. uh, with Easter coming up, that makes it all the more obvious and pressing. I would say, if, listener, if you find yourself in that shoe, wondering, in those shoes, wondering what to think about Jesus, my encouragement would be not that you think by yourself about this without any direction. I would say, look at the life of Jesus. Discover his life. Go to the Gospel of John. Read the Gospel of John, which is, on the one hand, both the most simple of the four Gospels, the four stories about his life, and it's the most profound at the same time. Or the shortest of the Gospels is the Gospel of Mark. I, I would say if, if you find yourself in, that shoe, in those shoes wanting to know, what do, what do I think about this Jesus? Or what do I think about Christianity, the larger question? I'd want to point you to Christ himself and say, look at Jesus' life. And that, that, that's what I've, what I've tried to do in this devotional. I hope it can be helpful to the extent that it's true to Scripture. But even better than any mere human words like mine or anybody else's, is to go to the text of Scripture itself in the Gospel of John or Mark or anywhere else in the Bible and, and fix your eyes on Jesus and ask God, show me the truth. I want to know the truth. I, I want to find out about this Jesus. See his life on display and see if you, would, if you would find his life compelling. Jesus lived the most extraordinary life of any human. I mean, it wasn't merely human, but he did live a fully human life. And it, it is an amazing thing that this peasant from Galilee became so significant in the history of the world that he would be the single most uh, famous human in the history of the world, that we would divide time based on his life. He has had a scope of impact 
like no other person. And it is worth seriously investigating his claims and observing his life and death and seeing if you find it compelling. Love it. Love it. We're going to continue our conversation with David Mathis in just a moment. We're going to take some calls. We see him in Las Vegas. We're going to take Penny's call as well, 877. Your call also. Maybe you have questions about around Holy Week, about how to respond, about how to even begin a devotional process. 877-548-3675. We've got one more segment with David Mathis. We're going to jump right in with your calls. 877-548-3675. Stay with us as we continue our conversation about, well, rich wounds and more. Hey, we're back, and we're talking to David Mathis about his new book, Rich Wounds, The Countless Treasures of the Life, Death, and Triumph of Jesus. Let's go straight to the calls. We're going to start with Penny in Alabama. Penny, you're live on the air. Go ahead. Please discuss Wednesday of Holy Week and what you called it. Yeah, tell us about Wednesday of Holy Thank Week. So oh, well, let me say to Penny, too. Let me say to Penny one more thing. Penny, if you'll stay in the line, we want to give you a copy of Rich Wounds as well. But talk to us about Wednesday of Holy Week, David. Yeah, thank you. I'm so glad. Thank you for the question. That's one of my favorite discoveries in, in recent years. I mean, I think we're all very familiar with, obviously, Easter Sunday and Good Friday. And then some are familiar with the name Maundy Thursday. Uh, but what's less familiar is the old tradition of calling Wednesday Spy Wednesday. Doesn't that sound intriguing? I guess because spies always sound intriguing. But Spy Wednesday is is when the church in ancient times marked uh, the 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 traitorship, the, the rebellion of Judas. That's the day during the week before Jesus is taken on Thursday night when Judas uh, goes to the high priest and, and makes the deal to, uh, to, to be the traitor and to emerge and to, to betray Jesus. And so that day is, uh, it has been remembered on that Wednesday as, as Spy Wednesday. So again, I mean, like, like uh, Good Friday, like Monday Thursday, there's that there's an element of, of great sadness in it uh, that Judas would, would betray Jesus in that way. But that's what's, what's meant by Spy Wednesday as we kind of walk those days from, from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday with Jesus in his final week. Yeah, the word spy used in this context would mean something like to ambush or something like to set up or snare is the, the context of the, the word spy here as well. Okay, let's go to Mary in Las Vegas. Mary, you're live on the air. Hi, thank you so much for taking my call. And um, I am I'm so glad that I tuned in today um, to hear how you have uh, captured the mystery of those 40 days before the, you know, um, before Easter. I grew up as a Catholic, and so this time was very profound for us. Um, mm-hmm. And But for me, as a Catholic, um, it was always focused on what sacrifice was I willing to do. And so as a, mm. a child, you know, giving up sugar, don't drink sodas. And then as I progressed in life, and I'm well over uh, um, senior years, but um, I still find it more on what can I let go of and living now i have a lot more to contend with you know um but mm-hmm. i always feel like this is a season where god does a uh, once we repent and obey then there's a breakthrough and deliverance that comes in this season you know so that mm-hmm. part is so exciting but how can i um 
uh, Mr. Mr. Massis, um, how can I steer away from, oh, I, I drank a soda today, you know, uh, <laughs> I didn't um, give up sugar today. Uh, whatever those things are that uh, we struggle with as, you know, whatever your thing is that you struggle with yeah. as a Christian under construction. Mm. I think you talked about the emotional part of it. Yeah. And, and and that's that's so, um, I've been trying so much to hold on to my emotions that look more like Jesus. And of course, mm. I have more stuff um, to yeah. Well, Mary, to let's get, let's get David to, yeah. Let's get David to weigh in a little bit on the question. I think it's a great question, but I do want you to hold on because we want to give you a copy of David's book, Rich Wounds, The Countless Treasures of the Life, Death, and Triumph of Jesus. But Mary has a great question. You know, a lot of times we focus on giving things up um, and then maybe feel guilty because we didn't do that. Help us to think through those, her question and kind of how we might think about this season of Lent. I, I think Mary's impulse there is, is so good in terms of, uh, and, and one, one thing, you know, as Easter approaches, we that might be an excuse for us in our frailty and weakness to experience something that is available to us year round. <laughs> uh, Easter is an accommodation to our weakness, <laughs> and so uh, in the middle of July, you know, God offers you the same benefits through this reality called called fasting. So one way that the people used to think is in preparation for feasts, they would fast. So the fast comes before the feast. And what it, what it has in the fast is, is not this sense of obligation. It's not the stick, if you have an image of a donkey being hit from behind with the stick. Uh, it is, it's, it's a carrot out ahead of us where the feast is coming. And in excitement for the feast, as I look forward to the feast, as, I'm look, as I want to make the most of the feast, we can fast on the front side of the feast to experience the joy and the tastes and the wonder and the beauty of the feasts all the more. And so if you would, uh, if you would like to employ God's gift of fasting, now fasting is an interesting gift, right? Because uh, you cannot fast all the time. You die. <laughs> fasting is a special gift. It's something to be used in special circumstances. And so if you want to, to, to gather with you know, people in various traditions of the church, and think about those days leading up to Easter as an opportunity for fasting that you might want to select going without sugar. I know a, a lot of a lot of people go without meat on Friday. That's an old Catholic tradition, and I, I, I don't know to what extent that was handed down as a mandate versus an opportunity. Um, but there there's nothing in the Bible that would mandate that we uh, have a kind of fast before the feast of Easter. However, it's just ancient wisdom that a fast before a feast makes the feast all the better. And so one opportunity leading up to Easter is, is to search your own heart. Ask God, what kind of opportunity might it be for the, the day before Easter or the week before Easter or from now until Easter on April 17, that you might choose to go without something that is uh, typically a momentary joy for you. And you're doing that looking forward to the greater joy of reminding yourself of the feast to come and the joy that there is to be had in Christ. Mm, so good stuff, David. We have a, a little over a minute or so left. Um, but in Rich Wounds, the, the subtitle is, is The Countless Treasures of the Life, the Death, and the Triumph of Jesus. We've been talking about Holy Week, Good Friday, Spy Wednesday, and more. Kind of take about a minute and talk to us about the triumph of Jesus through the resurrection. 
Oh, it's a, such an amazing reality that, I mean, that they, when he died on Good Friday, it was not good to them. It was a horrible Friday. And can you imagine the wait on Sunday, on, on Saturday, the longest day in, in their lives as the disciples waited. And then with dawn on Easter Sunday comes the news. He's alive. He's alive, which doesn't only vindicate that what he did on the cross Friday works, but it also makes it accessible to us. If he's not alive, not only is the work on Friday not valid, but we have no connection to it. We, our salvation comes to us in a living Christ. He is the very center of our salvation for all eternity. We will marvel at him. We will worship him at the very center of the new heavens and the new earth. So his resurrection not only vindicates his work, but it makes sure that he is a living Christ, a living Lord, a living God, that we can know him and enjoy him forever. So the resurrection is the best news in the world, both in regard to his work for us, that he gets our sin out of the way. He pays for our sin. He brings us to himself. He makes it possible that we can go to heaven, that we can be part of the new heavens and new earth. He makes our redemption possible. And when he's alive again, now there is a redemption worth having. There is a heaven worth having. There's an eternity worth enjoying because God himself, in the person of his son, is alive to know him and enjoy him and enjoy all the world and all of the gifts he's given in him as our greatest treasure. So good. I could listen to David talk about Jesus and the work of Christ and the resurrection forever and ever because he's such an encouragement. And just knowing him personally, he lives out the truths that he writes. And so let me encourage you to pick up a copy of Rich Wounds, The Countless Treasures of the Life, Death, and Triumph of Triumph of Jesus from the Good Book Company. Super thankful for David coming on the program today. Thanks to the behind-the-scenes team here at Moody Radio as well. My producer, Karen Hendren, engineer Courtney Young, and Claire Seagard, man in the phones today. Let me encourage you to tune in next week. I'm going to talk to the director of the Center for the Study of the Work and Ministry of the Holy Spirit today at Biola University. His name is Oscar Merlot, and we're, we're good friends. And we're going to talk about, well, how the Holy Spirit works, the gift of the Spirit, and the Spirit's impact on our life each and every day. If you hear today's program again, you'll find it at edstetzerlive.com or on the Moody Radio app. As always, if you want to kind of follow along, see what's coming up, you can do that through social media, at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's all at Ed Stetzer Live. Pretty easy to remember as well. And of course, Ed Stetzer Live is a production of Moody Radio, which is a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. You know, the thing I want you to remember as we talk about these things is, you know, we're all about the gospel here at Moody Radio and encourage you during this season, this time of the year, to every time of the year, but a particular reminder now that we look to Jesus. May we make much of him. May we understand who he is, what he's done, and ultimately respond to his work in our lives. Again, thanks as always for listening this and every Saturday to Ed Setzer Live. Look forward to continue our conversations next week.